0: Hello, I'm Jen Choi. Welcome to Voices of Private Equity, a podcast hosted by ILPA, the Institutional Limited Partners Association. In this series, through candid conversations with the people who power this amazing industry, we go beyond the labels and the headlines. Join me in getting to know the individuals who are shaping the future of private equity in this episode we're taking things in a slightly different direction we've brought together three individuals with a unique take on technology not as a portfolio investment but rather an opportunity to generate alpha through efficiency within lp's investment operations and with us today are ken akundi founder of cordacious mark steed cio at the arizona public safety personnel retirement system And Antonio Rodriguez, Director of Investment Strategy for the New York City Board of Education Retirement Systems. So, gentlemen, really appreciate you joining the conversation today. Thank you. I've asked Ken, Mark, and Antonio to share some perspectives on the ins and outs of undertaking a technology implementation project. And I should start by saying, in case it wasn't obvious by their quick bios, that Mark and Antonio are not technology guys, they're investors. So they're going to bring to this some insights on how these sorts of projects really do have an impact on investment decision making and operations for the benefit of the ultimate purpose that their organization serve which is generating strong portfolio returns for their beneficiaries so with that bit of context we want to get into how things are typically run in an lp investment office and ken by virtue of your work at credacious with institutional investors you see a lot of investment offices you see a lot of that before picture so what do you typically see coming into one of these projects
1: Thanks for having me. First of all, my company Cordacious is a management consulting firm specializing in investment office technology and operations. What we see generally three types of main projects, and we only work with what I call long-term investors, pension endowment foundations. There usually is come here and fix the problem, type one. Type two is more like, I'm a new CIO who just arrived. I need an independent audit of what we have before we make any cultural changes even. And the third one is that there is a new investment office that's created that is, requires complete rebuild of the entire operations and technology. And in our role, we define knowledge in two types. Quantitative knowledge, which is risk calculation, performance, attribution, contribution, and qualitative, which is anything that's called CRM, maybe document management, workflow management. And the problems we see in, in the offices are very similar across the board. So first one is that they never have enough staff. There's never enough people in any investment office we've been to because it's always relative to size. It's probably a little bit more endemic to the public pension plans who have always a harder time with hiring, etc. The second type is either too much technology or all Excel, which is not enough technology. Too much technology usually leads to what I call a configuration crisis. These systems are independent, multiple databases collecting this data, and they don't talk to each other makes a very difficult task in serving anybody above single asset classes. It generates a massive, uh, what I call Excel ballet or file extraction ballet that now somebody puts together to give it to them. The other side of a problem are things like a document management. You'd be surprised how many people are still working with a good old Z drive to create these massively structured folders across asset classes that are really serving the document management. And then surprise, surprise. The other part of it, what we see is a massively late data two weeks after month's end. If you want to make knowledge-based decisions, if your information is two weeks old, that doesn't help. And I think at the end of it, there's too many vendors making decisions and reducing what I think Mark in the past has called the regret factor. They've tried it. It didn't work. They need to bring somebody who has done this before.
0: I'm not at all surprised to hear you start off with not enough staff. And that's something we hear a lot from ILPA's public pension members, or at least the challenges around adding staff. What is interesting to hear is the too much technology piece where you're trying to make all of these disparate pieces work together. And of course, then you've run into those configuration challenges that can hang over your head for a long time. Mark, give us, first of all, give us a sense for where you're at in the technology implementation journey. And how does Ken's characterization of what those challenges look like align with what your experience was at the outset?
2: Well, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. We do not have the problem of too much technology. Like a lot of pension funds up until about 2017 were very analog. The diligence process was internal and it was run pretty much on Word docs and Excel spreadsheets. We used the custodian bank for all of our reporting and then you know staff would kind of have to make things look pretty when we went to face the board. And a lot of the middle and back office, like the heavy lifting on the monitoring and reporting side was really consultant dependent. And in about 2017, we automated the due diligence process and we saw immediate gains from that. So we pushed the DDQs online, you know, information went back and forth online. And that made it a lot easier to identify a start date and an end date and various milestones. And you could start to see how long things were taking you. And naturally, if you can see how long things are taking you, you can measure something, you can make it better. And we started to see pretty quick efficiency gains, just in, in terms of the amount of time it took us to process due diligence file drop precipitously, probably north of 50%. And the information was better, right? And so it was better information, it was a more robust process, and it really freed you know, the team up to consume that diligence. So that's really sort of what we've been occupied with for the last couple of years. And now what we're looking at is, okay, let's what can we do now in the middle, and the back office? So we're more independent. We're not sort of you know beholden to the consultants, or at least for monitoring and reporting. We get the information. We're automating. We're looking at document management, portfolio analytics, and just better reporting packages for the board and our stakeholders. It's not like there's a financial incentive to innovate, right? We're not necessarily marketing and trying to bring on new dollars. So you have to sort of consciously motivate yourself to become better. And so we just have to really be proactive about it. In terms of what's driving us, it's all about we're only as good as our conversations. And if we really want to leverage that collective intelligence, we need to spend less time looking for information and more time consuming it and talking about it. Second would be just eliminating mistakes that happens when you're copying and pasting, moving things from one spreadsheet to another or outsourcing it to another party who just doesn't have maybe the same incentives you do. Right? They make a mistake and you're the one that has to defend it Right? to the board, not them. Three is, is better decision-making because you're spending more time again talking about the really critical factors that that matter and i'd say probably the last one would be just communication and stakeholder buy-in better the reporting you know the more that they believe that you are or or pursuing best practices
0: super helpful and you know i i hear you say due diligence is potentially a gateway drug to bigger technology implementation because as you said you can see you know very quickly those efficiency gains and how rapidly and how effectively you can move through a diligence process. Presumably that means days to close were shorter for you.
2: Yep. Or or
3: days to know. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, or days to know, good, good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antonio,
3: where are you at in the process? Thank you for having me. This is a timely and an, uh, um, just a very important conversation. So when Ken kind of uh, alluded to kind of the starting from scratch, that's where we really are. I was hired by our executive director in um, 2018 to start the birds Investment Office and really under the framework that there are five total New York City retirement systems. And you know we scale very well, the fourth largest in the, the country. And so they're really good at solving for the general, right? And so solving for each of the systems when it comes to manager selection. And he was really motivated. He'd worked in asset management, very motivated to solve for our specific needs. of our needs were in common with the other systems when it came to um, manager selection. But we have peculiarities. One, our board is very made up very differently than the other four systems. Our population is is different than the other four systems. A lot of part-timers, we are still cash flow positive. We have this, a DC plan I'm attached. There's just a few, uh, so many different things that we had to solve for internally that he thought it was important that we had somebody here in a team that could solve for that final 20%. Why we went the technological route we did was because you can't just tie the status quo, particularly in the public sector. I think that the idea is, If we can find best practices, if we can see some of the cloud-based platforms for document management or due diligence or portfolio analytics, then our board would be behind us when we said, hey, we need to start looking a little bit different than the other systems. And so I think that was the real big motivator for why we went this route. We had to build the entire framework, processes, platforms before Um, We could then go to our board and say, hey, we're ready. Hey, we want you to go in a different direction when it comes to this portion of the portfolio. We've done all of our homework and we've made it so that it's transparent.
0: So just a a question for clarification, Antonio, are you the only one of the five that has embarked upon this kind of more tailored technology solution?
3: Yes. Giving our board makeup. Our board, 18 people. The only board of the five New York City retirement systems that do not get paid right to, to be there, not part of their job description, they're volunteers. And so they have a lot less involvement as trustees in the other systems. And so we need people in place to be able to, to work.
0: This is really, really interesting. And I think both you and Mark sort of touched on being best in class, not necessarily benchmarking yourselves to how the entire universe of public pensions does things, really staying focused on the needs of your institution. And Mark, you made that great point about what is the financial incentive to innovate so you got to come up with other reasons for why you would do something like this and i think that's where ken's work probably comes in is is devising all of the the evidence-based reasons with that as a bit of a pivot ken your paper titled is it worth it and you you definitively say throughout that technology implementations are most definitely worth it but you lay out that concrete evidence for the value of these projects You're looking at it in as quantifiable a fashion as possible, but you're looking at it in terms of time savings for staff, the net cost, as well as the net cost of the LPs with going through one of these things. And I found it interesting that you found that 11% of the savings were actually in the qualitative realm. So basically... Cutting down the time it takes to load the documents, to going back to something Mark said, extracting information from all of these notes that you've taken and memos you've produced from conversations with managers to find those files. Was that an expected finding? Was it intuitive to you that that's where some of the big savings were going to come from?
1: Having have worked with a number of projects intuitively before we went in, we knew. But well, once we've laid down the foundation and the assumptions, we'll assume the CIO reads for, spends 40% of his time reading, while the junior person would spend only maybe 15% of their time, 20% of the time reading. And then starting with that assumption, connecting that to the, to the actual assumed salaries again, and how much savings we get from each exercise. And that came from a direct question from a potential client. So show me, tell me how much savings are involved. And we embarked on that project.
0: ILPA not too long ago conducted a survey of our members on their intentions around implementing technology and sort of what, what they're hoping to get out of these implementations. And of the 345 LPs that responded, I was struck by the fact that the majority, 63%, went into it with really identifying as a primary goal improvements in investment decision making Mark, you brought this up as one of several things that you were looking at going into this process. Did the document management piece that Ken alluded to, did that really factor in, or was that something that kind of came to you later on in the process?
2: We're kind of in the camp where the document management was a definite pain point. We have 250 plus external fund relationships, maybe 125 or so different firms. And you have all these LPAs. And so you know, document management is a, a pain point for us. I think decision-making is important. But what I would say is, unless you have the processes set up right now to sort of optimize your decision-making, I wouldn't expect that just the technology overhaul by itself is, is going to improve decision-making. Because the idea is you make better decisions if you're asking better questions. And you should be asking those questions right now. In that context, I think like, the technology just helps you make them quicker. There's just less friction in terms of getting to the right question. So I think you have to be real clear about you know, your, your, sort of your processes and what information you're after anyway. I'd say there are benefits, but probably in my mind, I, I probably think they are less than, than many suspect they are.
3: Mark, I want to kind of reiterate what you said on the, the qualitative realm. I think going in, especially kind of with a new office, the big thing that you're doing is you're recreating a lot. So you're recreating previous decision-making processes. You are getting documents. So a lot of that in the beginning was all qualitative. We continue had to make investment decisions while we were getting this kind of up and running. And so in the beginning, I would say it's it's almost entirely qualitative. And the other thing that it does is it, it, it forces you to think about processes. Mark, you've put in an uh, electronic due diligence platform. You probably had a process already, but it forces you to either put it down or explain it to somebody who's going to be doing the implementation. So in the front end, I think I would even say it's even more than 11% qualitative. Over time, I think what you're hoping for is your decision-making is faster so you can make more decisions. You're able to to expand your universe. There's still going to be a lot of work. You're not going to be relieving people of, you're transforming the type of work that they're doing though. If you can make that skew where more of their work is around reading and more about the decision-making process, that allows them to say, hey, instead of looking at you know, five, and we'll look at double the number this year. That's really where you see the, those gains in the early going. And then over the long term, being able to uh, apply your decision-making process to more investment funds, then would, I think, show up quantitatively. Yeah, that's you know, an interesting point, because
2: I, I agree that there's a lot of clarity that comes from technology implementation from a, a process standpoint, because you basically have to systematize your entire thinking. To Antonio's point, you can consider more opportunities because I, could only, I only had time to process, say, you know, 30 or 40 investments in a quarter, but now I can do 60 because we sort of automated. I definitely agree that that clarity of process is a big contributor to just overall efficiency gains.
1: Investment office is nothing but a series of processes that are very well thought out at this point in time. It's in the business of manufacturing of alpha. And the only difference, or maybe similarity to car manufacturing, is you can only sell so many cars. So there's only so much alpha to be had. So the sooner you get to a no, that frees up time to get to the real yeses. Uh, You always use the example of something along the lines of a NASCAR, right? Even if uh, somebody comes and delivers you the best technology available, your team still has to change the tires in 14 seconds when the race day comes. So that is very important. The training and working together and collaborate and use technology as a facilitation or a means of speeding up things is, is very important.
0: It goes back a little bit to something Antonio said a moment ago about giving people the opportunity to work on things that feel more impactful and more value accretive, right? If you're freeing up time from these rote, what are believed to be less valued tasks so that they can pivot a bit, everybody wins, everybody feels good. Let's let's talk about the human piece of all of this, because I think it is underappreciated you've all talked about the transformational, organizational change management aspect of these things. Antonio, how did the people piece, that human element factor into it for you, especially because you were building from scratch a bit. And as you talked about having to build the framework and then bring your board and the rest of the organization into it.
3: In the beginning, there was no team. It was me discussing with our kind of executive team and some board members. So from a leadership standpoint, you're really just sketching out kind of a vision in the beginning. You have to talk about what those improvements are going to be again, talking about it from a a, a qualitative perspective and how it's going to benefit them. Right. I think one quick win typically is better board reporting and faster board reporting. You, you have to give them something that to kind of hang on to for the team itself. If you have an experienced team, right. It can be easier and harder depending on how much they kind of uh, understand the legacy systems. On the one hand, you don't have to build them up into your office culture. And you don't have to build them up at the same time you're trying to train on new technology. And so you can just kind of spend time on that. For uh, newer team members, you're doing both at the same time. And that can be difficult. You're spending much more time in the beginning on the technology and operations aspect than what most folks consider kind of the fun things, which are the, the ultimate investment decisions, finding new funds or, or thinking about new strategies. From an organizational standpoint, you have to be honest and you have to, I think, be a bit kind of understanding to to what folks are feeling kind of fatigued on another implementation um, that you're running kind of simultaneously. Then from an organizational standpoint, you find quick wins. You um you are honest as much as possible and you you try and be as collaborative as possible. And I think you can get most of the most of the way there, but I can't emphasize enough the, the quick wins to keep um people um engaged while you're going through a long process.
0: I was gonna ask you about that. How do you guard against that fatigue when you're making that promise that it's gonna get better, you're gonna get to do the things that you're really excited about doing if you'll just stick with it a little while longer.
3: It's a lot easier when you have folks who are learning both. I would say it's the very junior staff. It's, I think it's fairly easy because they're learning. I think it's the folks in the middle who feel like they've come here to do a, a certain job. I've come here to to help you kind of select investment strategies. Trying to keep them motivated is, is not easy. Having the honest and frank discussions about like, here's why it, it we're doing it this way, that it will get easier, it'll get better. And so I think it's understanding you have to have a personnel strategy around the, the technology strategy, certainly in our case, where um, we we're uh, a new office.
0: And to contrast with Mark's experience, right? So Mark, you, you've been at Arizona PSGRS for 14 years now. And I have to assume a lot of the, the folks on the team, they're longer tenured. You also, I'm guessing, had some legacy systems, legacy behavior issues. How did you get through all of that?
2: I think inertia is a very powerful force. And I think we all like the path of least resistance. And we all kind of believe in the conservation of energy and mostly our own team members and uh, you know, pension funds and other asset management firms are, are used to somebody showing up with like the new shiny thing. Everybody's going to kind of roll their eyes and you have to anticipate that. Resistance is, is expected. And it's important to have the buy-in, but I guess I, what I would say is when you have something uh, as detailed as a technology overhaul or your building systems, it, it's going to take some time. And I think it's really valuable to have kind of a project manager that can set out the relevant milestones over six months, a year, two years, three years. What do we need to see and what are the expectations? Team members can look at that and they can kind of see that we're moving through milestones, even if there might not be a deliverable. I think it really helps build um, support you know, that we're, you know, we're making progress so you sort of avoid that fatigue. And you know, to Antonio's point, I think there's a lot to be said. You're selling them on the fact that they're probably going to be doing less of the stuff they don't like and more of the things that they do like. Mm-hmm. And at least in the case of you know, pensions where you have pretty Spartan teams as it is, there's not really a case where somebody's you know, probably going to lose their job. You're looking at repurposing somebody, right? Or you probably hired someone with a, with a good head on their shoulders and they're stuck doing kind of routine administrative tasks. And it's just not a good use, sort of their intellectual horsepower. So, I, you know, I think it's it's good to have the buy-in, but also be clear from a group standpoint that not everybody is going to have to buy into every decision. There are some people in the room they are going to make the decision unilaterally because they're the ones that are going to have to use it or they just know more about it. And so I really think bringing people together, identifying, here's what we have to agree on together, and here's what we're not really going to talk about as a group, and someone's just going to make this decision. And then here are the expectations and the milestones going forward so that we, we keep that momentum and put some points on the board based on what's worked for me and what hasn't worked, that that's probably a pretty good approach.
3: Typically, you know, in, 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 in a pension fund, investment office is separated from everyone else, maybe with some cross-collaboration with accounting. And I think working with accounting and saying, hey, actually, some of the things yeah. that we're doing can be helpful to you as well. Getting those type of allies, I think, has been really, really helpful. That's a huge point.
1: I view this as a journey that starts with pre project where we incorporate in our operate in our goals, improving the quality lives of the people within the system. We first line of reaction is usually, here's another consultant from New York who is gonna tell us how to run our business and also the fear of losing their job becomes the first line of interaction, especially with the junior people, is that in none of our projects ever, anyone has lost a job because we got engaged. It's really about building trust. At the end of the day, it only comes down to three things, adoption, adoption, and adoption. We say that in order to replace an existing system slash process, you have to bring something that's 10 times better. There's a lot of failure of systems haven't failed because of implementation or because of selection. is because it wasn't delivered properly because the vendor believes but the last data bit is loaded and tested, they're done. And that's not true.
0: What do you all think about the internal project manager versus the merits of hiring somebody to do this whole process with you and holding your hand throughout?
2: In full disclosure, we've engaged Ken to help us out on this project. And the reason we did that was because we tried to do it internally (laughs) and it just wasn't successful. And the reason why that was the case is that there's just so much fragmentation in the industry, there's been a, a lot of innovation. So you've got questions about, are the groups I'm considering, first of all, able to do the job? Are they stable? Are they going to be around long-term? And you also don't know you don't know. There's constantly new players on the scene. And the the cost of a mistake, the regret factors is legitimate because if it doesn't work out, it really undermines any future recommendations you want to make. And so I think there's a lot of value to having a project manager who's going to take the time and do nothing but this and is an expert in these types of rollouts and um, integrations at least for us, you got what we call the investment management teams, all the analysts and the portfolio managers. And then you have operations, which is a separate group and they actually report separately to the executive director. And then we have uh, you know, our legal team. And you really need somebody to really dedicate time to understanding how they do things and what makes them tick. And also be able to marry that with what's out there on the market and what's worked with other investors and what hasn't worked. And more importantly, think of the things that you haven't thought about, right? So I think there's a lot of value to engaging somebody Who's an expert or who's certainly going to dedicate, you know, their time to this specific project?
3: From my perspective, it was two things. One, in the beginning, it was my, I was by myself as we were thinking about it. First, needing someone or, or, or a group of people to have these type of discussions with, I think, is the, is the first. Um, and the biggest reason why we also decided to end up going with utilizing a consultant we ultimately started with kind of three or four uh, big things, document management, investment book of records, staff, portfolio analytics, and kind of report generation, and automated or kind of electronic due diligence process. And for each of those, we said at the beginning, we I mean I'm not certainly not a technologist, and to the degree that I have to think about, the market for due diligence platforms, <laughs> in addition to discussing asset liability studies with my general consultant, if one of those things are gonna have to go where we, we need an expert, I'm gonna say that the technology platforms all day. And I think laying out the universe was by far the most important exercise. Somebody outside the organization who can tell you about yourself. I think a lot of value in that, right? And and you know, who doesn't have a stake in any of the stuff that you already have. And then Again, having that kind of project manager, having the person who has the relationships who can tell you from prior implementations, here's where we can push them, and here's where you can kind of soft pedal things. Having that voice um, is is integral to having to to minimizing, as Mark says, minimizing the regret factor. What you're not going to get, I think, or have a much less chance of getting, is uh, a situation where you have to go back to the board and say we have to do this again.
2: Okay. Yeah, and then just to that point. I think it's legitimate to assume that there's going to be some internal politics generally, and it's good to have a third party who can just sort of say, well, this is what I recommend, and I think this is best because it's usually easier coming from somebody else, and maybe it makes some of those more sensitive conversations easier.
0: All of these are wonderful points about the merits of bringing the consultant in early right and helping you cut through the noise helping somebody who knows you better than you and can quickly get you to the short list, so you don't have to go through 10 or or more rfp responses and also that risk of failure piece and i go back to something you said earlier you don't want your team to become jaded because of unsuccessful experiences so that you've basically cut off your ability to do any of these in the future let's talk about the budgetary piece though because it's not inconsequential Right. So if you're bringing somebody in early to help you set up that RFP process, to help you cut through to the vendor shortlist, you know, there's a cost to that. Then also just thinking about the spend for some of these implementations generally, the ILPA technology survey found that. The folks who were in that highest spending bracket were generally less satisfied than those who were spending sort of that next bracket down, which kind of surprising. Ken, how does that line up with what you're seeing as far as how clients are putting those needs assessments together, what they're prioritizing as part of the RFP process? Are they appropriately focused on budget and cost, or should the priorities be slightly differently aligned?
1: The budgetary piece definitely has a massive impact. And I would say part of client's journey always starts, okay, we have a problem. Identify there is a problem. That problem could be well publicized internally or stays only within the CIO's desk or maybe the COO if there is one. And then they task it to either the COO or someone like is more technical or data-driven, like a chief risk officer, to go look at this. We find that, and that's part of the cost issue, right? It's too expensive to go buy the system or we don't need a consultant. And what we see happen all the time is that because all these characters have a day job, they just don't have enough time to dedicate you. So all of a sudden you have three years passed since that decision was made. And at that point, okay, how much does that cost to, to get these things fixed? I think Mark and Antonio both were in that same camp where I always ask a question, not trying to be tricky, how much budget do you think you need to modernize your investment office? And in every case, a final number is less than actual expectation of spend, which is remarkable as far as I'm concerned.
3: Generally speaking, we end up having an easier time talking about platforms and technology than the other, which is hiring personnel. And Hiring personnel is always a, a challenge for a variety of reasons, right? We talk about it in kind of two ways. One is giving you know, both the budgetary impact, but then also the a comparison on either we spend X on technology or we spend Y on people. The real discussion is, what are your people going to be doing? And telling it frank to the, frankly to the board that when we're talking about technology, spend, what we're really talking about in a lot of ways is the time you want your, your staff doing, right? And so That's really kind of the variable there. And so when we talk about it in that, the understanding and framing of kind of the budgetary impact, I think it's an easier conversation to have.
2: I think the status quo is more expensive. And that's the conversation I had with with my committee. Doing nothing is actually the more expensive option here for lots of reasons. There are mistakes that um, are made because of these manual processes that are are time-consuming that have sometimes real financial impact. Actually, the, the status quo is the most painful thing you can do.
1: Timeliness of how quickly you deliver solutions is very important. What we often find with our clients is that they like the fact that, okay, I'm going to give it to these guys and they're going to fix it and then deliver it. And it's within the known time frame 12 months, 18 months. These can be fixed in a timely fashion. So then you can go to your business of generating, manage, managing your portfolio and generating your alpha.
0: Mark, is there anything that you wish you knew? At uh, the beginning that you'd like to share?
1: but I think
2: it's very difficult to do this yourself. We're all busy enough. And, and I think that, you know, I, I think it's, it's valuable to think of engaging a third party, because I think the mistake is lots of people assume that they can build this themselves. And my group has pretty good technology chops. I mean, we, you know, um, we've got backgrounds in analytics. I can code. We've got some sort of my team that can code, learn from our experiences. And it's not like, I don't think our group was harmed at all, or my fund was harmed at all. But. Just things weren't as efficient as they could have been. You just don't know the landscape, and if you haven't been following it, and you know, uh, sort of religiously, right, for a number of years, it's really tough to say that you're that you're engaging with the right potential vendors, and you know exactly what the potential pitfalls are, and you know how th- what things are going to cost. So I would encourage people to think about engaging an expert in this area to help them out.
3: I would say uh, first, absolutely, relate really, Mark's point around making sure that you're working with someone. I would have paced out our projects a little bit more deliberately than we ended up doing like we ran you know and I think part of it was a symptom of excitement the one thing about getting kind of a quick win when it came to report generation like oh we want to do everything right and and so I would have been a little bit more deliberate about our pacing and that means leaving time for adoption leaving time for adoption We did uh, portfolio analytics, you know, report generation, due diligence, document management, bang, 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 all in a row. If we had to rank them on which ones are the most exciting, well, the portfolio analytics and report generation, investment book of record is the most exciting, going down to kind of due diligence process and then document management. And so that is also the order under which adoption was most prevalent to least prevalent. Anyone who's contemplating this, making sure that you're realistic about your timelines and even if that means you're spending a bit more on the implementation and let's say consulting side ultimately i believe that's worth it if you don't have that level of adoption you're not going to get all you can out of it
1: when i first started this company i was an absolutist i used to think that this technology is the biggest best engine in the background and I'm going to tease the audience a little bit. Ask me, hey, Ken, what is the best system out there for portfolio points? Well, it depends a lot on what the problems are, because every investment office has different problems. I've been cases where I've vehemently opposed the selection of a certain technology, but the CIO was fine, and they made went ahead and made that decision, and they're very happy. So I can only provide opinions, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have the answer to all those guys who wanted to hear a name of a technology company, but it is about understanding the problem. I think that even though a world with just your manufacturing alpha, it still is a nuanced decision on the part of the investment offices.
0: Wonderful. Well, Ken, Antonio, and Mark, thank you so much for an insightful conversation today on a topic that doesn't get as much engagement as it really deserves. So I'm sure our listeners found it very instructive. Really appreciated you being on the program. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me.